Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cuttings with Matrix on May the 7th, 2017. It's rather amusing to those who've been watching the chem spraying of the skies for years and years and to read the, the, what, the, what passes as news. But really, see, we're at the bottom of the heap, so the catalogue get nonsense for news. We really do. Pretty well everything you get now is nonsense. And it has been for an awful long time, to be honest with you. Because the big boys long ago went through the whole system of control of media. And after all, media is what gives you information that leads you to form what you think are your opinions. And in reality, it's the way and technique of making sure that most folk have standardized, approved opinions on all the, all the different topics they're given. So therefore, we're given pretty well nonsense for, for news. But it truly is staggering to see how, how, how in contempt we're held by those who really run the world. And these guys who run the world are above your politicians. It's rather obvious to me. I was thinking even today about the Maury Strongs of the world and the Rio Air Summit that you got signed and all the rest of it. And all these other guys who get all these treaties signed that we all have to follow. And we're, we don't elect any of them. None of them are technically government employees. But they all, <laughs> on behalf of their masters, pass all these different laws which we must all follow, which is basically looting the people of their tax money through different schemes and scams and all the rest of it, from global warming to climate change to whatever happens next. It's just a way of controlling the general public and profiting from it at the same time. The big boys at the top always make sure that they profit mightily from all the changes they bring upon us and, and the changes which we must follow by law. They make sure it's by law. It's quite something right, to watch it and understand it. But the, the chem spraying's gone on for 1998 continuously in Canada. And I've watched some amazing storms in the past get built up over it and sometimes summers of nothing but rain here in Ontario. And this last month they've been building up even more so than usual because they're always doing it. And you watch these jets just almost fall into each other and cross each other. Uh, going across the sky, making this big mush uh, of heavy, heavy chemical and, and barium and, uh, and aluminum oxide, etc., that puts the spray. And I think they've added something else to the mix now, too, which we've fallen with Harvard's study, when, which, which said that they would eventually try to experiment with it. Not that they're doing it, but when they want to experiment with it, they'll try different substances to cool the earth. Well, the way, way beyond all of that, as you well know, and the bad is something else to the mix, though, because they've been trying and trying and trying for a while now to basically get it down to a, partic- a very precise formula of mixes for for rain, for terrible storms, windstorms, and so on. They try and get these formulas down pat, and they don't quite make it sometimes. And so they'll predict some chaotic weather which doesn't quite pan out. But they're getting there. And, of course, once they start creating the massive winds and, and trees get blown down, there's chaos and flooding, etc., then they can turn to the public and say, see, it's your fault, there's too many of you. 
And see, that's really what's behind all this nonsense of climate change. It's, it's the, the old, old story from the Club of Rome that there's too many of you. And they want reasons to bring the population down by authoritarian means, basically. That was all discussed and published by the Club of Rome many years ago. Any excuse would do. And they found one by creating the excuse. So it's an agenda, and we all have to go along with it. But this, this weekend, they have really been pumping this awful stuff on, and everybody, even people at the, the general stores and so on, are, their noses are stopped, just stopped with, with, with the, the build-up of mucus and so on inside uh, the passages. The lung, your lungs field is full of gunk, which it is actually. And it's a grey film of stuff on top of furniture. That's what they, I saw back in 1998 to about 2000 when they first experimented with this particular type of spray. And you found this grey kind of oozy stuff, little fibrous stuff on top of everything. Well, that's back again, so I guess they've added it back to the mix. It'll probably be deadly, and they'll know exactly how many folk will probably kill. But that's all part of the agenda too. You know. Numbers, we're irrelevant at the bottom. And I really mean that. I really, really mean that. We, we are truly irrelevant at the bottom. We know through various reports from medical authorities over the years that certain diseases are obviously skyrocketing, and even fungal diseases of humans, animals, and, and plant life too. I've seen trees over the last few years get covered in this fungus and then start rotting and dying off. And this is going to accelerate too with this type of spray that's going on. And even uh, back in 2005 or so, with samples that were tested back then by independent samplers and laboratories, they found that there was fungus in the spray even then. So it was killing people, obviously. And it's meant to do so. And we peons at the bottom don't have uh, the filtration systems in the homes. Literally, literally, I mean filtration systems, not just little... Not little air filters, but real air filtration systems, almost on, on the scale of nuclear war, for instance, where they have multiple layers of filters and carbon and all the rest of it to, to filter out all the contaminants. We don't have that type of real, real well-made system, but the elite do. They all do. And even their cars, which are chauffeur driven also have all these systems built into them too. And they, they have other techniques on the go, real collation techniques, where their blood is filtered through every so often, particular machines which take out the toxins. Real collation therapy. But not for the general peons. And that's the beauty of the elite system uh, and the different levels they have, which they bring people in. I'm talking that they bring in the world managers at different levels to manage us. And if you're really good and, and you can keep your mouth shut, they'll, they'll give you little rewards, a little bit of longevity, a lot better medical care than we'll ever see at the bottom. And they also have these. They, you also get the, the really um, good food, the real good food, the food that is not exposed to the rain that comes down with all the chemtrails in it. The stuff they get, and I did talks on this years ago, uh, is grown under domes in, in most countries. And Japan, there were big articles a few years ago, but Japan have them. Uh, the people wear the same kind of suits that they wear in, in big pharmacological uh, companies as they're making all the, the medicines and so on. The white clothing, masks and all the rest of it. 
no bugs get in, no outside bacteria, and the, the water is all heavily filtered and taken up straight up from deep, very, very deep wells into these particular places. So the, these, And, of course, it's not GM, and it's not laden with insecticides and pesticides and so on. So we truly are, <laughs> on the surface level, uh, getting killed off quietly and uh, with many, many different diseases as a result of all of this, as we well know. But that's part of the agenda, too. In fact, the Club of Rome, pretty well say, but by the year 2050, they'll have vastly reduced the population of the world. And meanwhile, you have mass immigration going on and so on, but they don't see people at the bottom as having individual rights or even national rights. They, everybody across the world at the bottom level is just one big mass to them. And so they don't really care about you because they don't see you as an actual equal creature. Now, over the years, I have read so many articles on there uh, about tests that the United Nations does or the globalists do in different little areas within a country or little countries themselves. And even some islands, in fact, I think it was some Danish islands or whatever, or Norwegian, they were testing out the electric cars on a small scale years ago to test out how all the different problems and how the folk would react to problems and all the rest of it too. Same with uh, the cashless society. In fact, Ontario had a couple of cities which they tested this on years ago too to see how they could encourage the rest of the public to go cashless as well. And of course they give you all these little incentives and little point systems and they can collect all your data as you buy things. They know what you're eating and what's, what's wrong with you if you get a particular problem, medical problem where you're buying and so on. They know everything about you that way too. But they give you little points, and that's good enough. You don't have to force folk to give away all their rights and freedoms and privacy and even dignity. Just offer them a few points, and believe you me, they'll get the card out, and, and that's it. The big boys get what they want. But getting back to the testing, Canada has been tested for different things. As I say, not just the cashless society, but before the big boys do anything on a grand scale, even even nationally or, for, or globally, they've got to test it out and do studies, especially when it comes to poisons and things like that. So nothing is a surprise to them. That's why the geoengineers literally said, if, if they ever, and there are meetings, they've always had meetings every year, a few meetings actually every year, and they always say, if we ever begin to spray tongue-in-cheek, because they all know darn well they're doing it, then uh, they've got it right down to a, a fine art, how many folk will probably be killed off with it what type of medical problems people will have, or what they're called predisposed to have, they'll come down first and die, or die. they're very young, very old, etc., etc. And that's all accepted. To save the world, which is nonsense, they all know that too, it's a big lie, but the scientists don't care because they get awfully well paid for going along with lies. There's a sad thing about human nature, but you can get folk to lie about anything if you pay them enough. So Canada was tested over the years, with other countries too, by the way, to see what aluminum oxide would do to the human body and what a great con that was. Always, always done under a good, a good cause. It's a good cause, you know, to test these people. Well, I'm going to read a few articles here, going back a, a little ways, actually, about this particular 
testing. And the reason they gave for it at the time, which of course um, really <laughs> had nothing to do with what they're telling the poor, poor people who were the victims of it all. And they used miners in Canada and other countries too, Western Australia and various other places. Here's an article going back to 1990. Digging for Alzheimer's data in Canadian mine, aluminum has now been linked inconclusively to the brain disease. Now, they knew darn well, even by then, what it was doing, because they were already testing it out from the 70s. It says, now miners who are forced to breathe heavy doses of the metal's dust for years are being tested. And this is in 1982, neuropath- neuropathologist in New York made an intriguing discovery not only did aluminum show up in the brains of Alzheimer's disease victims, it was also present in precisely those uh, tangled brain cells that characterize the disease. Now, actually, it, this is like a delayed reaction because in the 1970s, in the British medical journals, they published it then that they found in Alzheimer's patients uh, heavy doses of uh, aluminum in the, the, the brain too. So the, they've always known this. But this one here is, is, uh, talks about Canada. And they try to, again, say, oh, it's not really, it's, it's still debatable, they said, which is utter rubbish, utter rubbish. And it says here that um, now in the northern Ontario town of Timmins, a group of gold miners enters a picture presenting a tantalizing as yet untapped body of evidence that may sway the Alzheimer's aluminum debate one way or the other. For years, even decades, interior miners were deliberately made to breathe large amounts of aluminum dust every day. This is a great con to get the, to get the testing done. This is the thinking was that aluminum would, listen to this, protect their lungs from silicosis, one of the health hazards of their line of work. That thinking was misguided. Misguided? What a con this was. What a con. But it says, while it prevailed, unfortunate miners were subjected to a huge dose of the metal. And then I'll go into another one, which gives a bit more detail. And this article here, again, Toronto Star, this one, says, in human experiment, Ontario miners say they they paid devastating price. They were used like guinea pigs. And it says, uh, and they were told that this stuff, this toxic powder, which they were were forced to breathe, by the way, every day before going down the mines, would protect their lungs. Can you believe the con here, eh? Well, let, let, let's breathe this toxic powder to protect you from silicosis that you might get down the mine. Hmm? I, I give you a few examples of people who got it. Fred Booth pictured during his miner's chest x-ray, a program to monitor workers who were at risk of silicosis. They used McIntyre powder, and it was supposed to protect against the disease, but miners and their families are now worried it caused severe health problems. And then they show you other pictures, too, of the actual powder, tins of this powder that folk were forced to breathe. Uh, and they would seal off the, the, the entrances, to the, all the, the air ducts to the, to the mine, to make sure and put the stuff down there till the folk had to breathe in. It was good for them, they said, you see. This is a Toronto Star article from 1979 described McIntyre powder, which miners were blasted with to protect them from lung disease as danger dust. Danger dust. So uh, the folk all came down with st- this stuff, and it pretty well has had a hell of an effect on, on the survivors. A lot of them have died already. 
It says it was a human experiment on an unprecedented scale. Its target was 10,000 Ontario miners. They used a mysterious black powder that were forced in hail in a sealed room before plunging underground to work. From 1943 to roughly 1980, an aluminum-based uh, a prophylaxis called McIntyre powder was sold as an apparent miracle antidote. That's how they do everything when they're testing you and they con you. And, and the folk, take me, we're taught to trust, you know, we truly are. It says it was a designed historical document suggested by industry-sponsored Canadian scientists, it says, bent on slashing compensation costs in gold and uranium mines across the north. The problem experts say is aluminum is now known to be neurotoxic if significant doses get into the blood. And victims' families say uh, those exposed to Canada's miracle McIntyre dust might be paying a devastating price. This is Janice Martel has pulled together hundreds of pages of research on the experiment after her minor father, Jim Hobbs, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2001. Small pieces of him get taken away every day. It's hard to watch, she says. She works as a counsellor in Elliot Lake. And she says she feels so helpless. After a year of outreach, she says she's been contacted by 360 former miners across the province exposed to the powder. Around one-third, she says, are living with a neurological disorder. Ten or roughly three percent developed amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, a degenerative and incubable condition that slowly kills the ability to swallow, speak and breathe. In Ontario, the prevalence of a motor neuron disease which includes ALS, is estimated at less than one in a thousand people. Because they're not based on a random sample, Martel's numbers don't necessarily prove that miners exposed to McIntyre powder are more likely to suffer from neurological conditions, but they're concerning enough to prompt McMaster University in Canada to start studying survivors. According to the province's uh, Workplace Compensation Board, there's no consistent evidence linking aluminum exposure to neurological disease. <laughs> well, yes, they've said that for a bit, so many things. You, it's just astonishing. This one goes on and on and on. But anyway, this was around 2007 when Dr. Christopher Exley, an expert on the toxic effects of aluminum, and a professor at Keele University in the United Kingdom, heard a knock on his door. Outside stood an elderly man clutching a small canister. As a young worker, he was blasted with its contents as part of a trial conducted in England's southwestern Tin mines. So they tried it in different countries to make sure that they and do testing, and then they come up with their their findings, and they know darn well what all the spraying is now going to do to so many folk. Outside, through an elderly man, clutching the container and so on, the faded yellow tin of miner powder still sits on Exley's shelf, and it reads "Made in Canada." According to Martel's extensive research based on records at the Archives of Ontario, the product was developed in the 1940s by the McIntyre Research Foundation, which ceased operations in 1992. The group's founding directors include staff doctors, naturally, and executives from now-abandoned McIntyre porcupine mines and twins. The result was an aluminum powder which, when uh, tested first on guinea pigs and rabbits, then on humans, was believed to dramatically reduce the likelihood of developing silicosis, a fibrosis of the lungs caused by the high content of carcinogenic silica in gold and uranium mines. A 1942 letter from a doctor researching silicosis in Timmins to the McIntyre mines warns of the grave potential liability of the disease and said aluminum gives promise of saving the industry large sums of money than otherwise would be expended in compensation. 
1979, the star, the, the, the Toronto Star profile miners being dosed with danger dust. By that time, 190 million individual powder treatments had reportedly been administered, and researchers from South Africa, Sweden, and the UK had raised alarm. The article quoted the McIntyre Research Foundation as saying the powder's beneficial qualities, as proven by animal experimentation, were now universally accepted. It says, what would really have helped the miners, it says, is proper ventilation and dust control. Uh, but that would have cost more money. But anyway, as I say, there's nothing that they don't know is going to be caused by all the spraying. They know it darn well. They did it in Australia too, as I mentioned. In fact, last week in one of the Sudbury newspapers, they had a story there about it too. The effect of this McIntyre powder, which is aluminum oxide, is absolutely devastating in all these different symptoms. And we're all breathing this stuff in now, and along with, with barium and, and various other things now as well. So it's really, really drastic. And they want to add sulfur compounds to the air now as well. And probably are doing it, actually. And then there's this article here. It says the McIntyre Powder Project is a voluntary registry to document health issues, particularly neurological and miners or other workers who are exposed to McIntyre powder aluminum dust in their workplace. The aim of the project is to provide a centralized place to gather information on the types of health issues found in workers who are exposed to McIntyre powder aluminum dust for the purposes of establishing the need for further research into the long-term health impacts of aluminum dust exposure and to seek compensation for those who suffered health issues, etc., etc. And... Eventually, they want to get uh, legislative changes to improve workplace safety, etc., etc. And then they've gone about when miners are affected are from 1943 to approximately 1979 to 1980. And miners are employed primarily in gold and, and uranium mines, but other mines too, and some base metal and radium mines in Canada, Ontario, Quebec, British Columbia, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Northwest Territories. United States, Belgium, Congo, Western Australia, and Mexico were required to breathe. <laughs> they were required, by the way, to get to, to get, or they wouldn't let you down uh, down on your shift. To breathe in McIntyre powder aluminum dust prior to each shift, miners would undergo a mass treatment wherein canisters of McIntyre powder aluminum dust would be dispensed via compressed air system into the mine dries or especially constructed chambers. All ventilation would be stopped during the aluminum dust dispersal. Our miners were instructed to inhale the black fog of respiratable aluminum dust deeply to protect themselves against silicosis. <laughs> they can make ordinary, decent people do anything, eh? They really can, eh? Since the practice was mandatory and was given without medical supervision and in the absence of the prior informed consent of the miners. Tens of thousands of miners would have been exposed to McIntyre powder aluminum dust during the 36 years that the program ran. Others affected during the lifespan of the McIntyre powder aluminum prophylaxis program. McIntyre powder aluminum dust was also used to, again, quotation marks, treat the employees of several non-mining industries in the U.S. and a few such industries in Canada. These industries included pottery manufacturers, foundries, silica brick manufacturers, and refractories. Unlike the mass treatment method of aluminum dust dispersal used for miners, the employees of these non-mining industries were given individualized McIntyre powder aluminum dust inhalation treatments. During these individualized treatment sessions, 
The employee would inhale my entire powder, aluminum dust through a mouthpiece, a hose, apparatus attached to a ball mill that ground the aluminum into a very fine, respirable aluminum dust. Isn't that wonderful? The experts know best, you know. We keep getting told that nonsense, don't we? By our owners, because that's how they see us at the top, the very top, that we're just owned. (laughs) Really, that is the truth, folks. And then another one, effect of exposure of miners to aluminum powder, and that's from PubMed. And they go through how it was supposed to be used and so on, and what it was supposed to have been used for, and what it actually did. It says the findings are consistent with the putative neurotoxicity of chronic aluminum exposure. So it's all well known now what it does to people. There's no debate about it, but we're getting sprayed with it to save the world from, you know, getting warm or whatever, you know. <laughs> Nonsense, in other words. Is, is, uh, there's so many reasons for, for the so-called taxation and, and new laws concerning how you live because you're breathing out CO2 and you might, you might warm the planet and so on and so on. But meanwhile, you've got weather control going on above you all the time. And they've even admitted, if they were to start spraying, the Geoengineering Association say, if they had to stop spraying, it would cause massive turbulence in the weather, even tornadoes and massive winds and stuff, as it try to normalize itself. Meanwhile, it's the same results you get when, they're, when they start doing it. <laughs> they, they already cause these things. So either way, they're doing it. And, uh, and if they stop doing it, but apparently they, what they're claiming would be even worse. What, what, a great con that is too, isn't it? We can't stop spraying you now because there'll be devastating consequences is the way I try to write it. So, so, so die in the meantime of aluminum poisoning <laughs> and other things as well, or fungus or whatever. Anyway, this is, this is the world we live in. And uh, we're constantly fed nonsense and lies. And believe you me, there's no shortage of liars with many degrees to, to come forward readily and get paid awfully great sums of money to con you and to get you to comply with anything, for that matter. Another one, again, on, on the McIntyre Research Foundation, 1930 to 1992. It's quite something, isn't it? But again, you understand, if you look, and I've read some of the, the, the books of the, that came out of the Club of Rome, and there's other ones um, uh, out there too, where they never change their focus on things. They always tell you that there's too many of you, you know, the, the, the useless eaters. And you useless eaters are using too much of the world's resources. And they came up with the idea of uh, blaming the weather because of us, we're causing the weather to change. That's, that's what they claimed. They tried to get away. They even said it. That they were given a ta- the task, this thing time, they were given the task of finding a reason to, to control the people, more and more control over your lives. And literally, to, to an authoritarian type of system, how to manage your lives and even bring your population down. And they said, they looked at all the different things they could possibly blame and used to terrify the public, then they settled, they settled on possible weather disturbances, famine and drought and the like, caused by man. They said, well, because by man, that's what they would blame for it, that would fit the bill. And they haven't changed since. And that's, they're, they're working on behalf of the, the real global elite who run the world. And they do run the world. 
your, your little nation areas are really just little regions. And the top people have run the world for an awful long time. And they run it because they own all the money system across the planet too. And they get any new nation involved in, in borrowing from them, the World Bank and the IMF, and, and they manage them too. And plus it's easy too to, to pay off leaders and buy them over. You know. Great system. The big organizations that truly worked as front groups for the globalists, international groups, always talked about the same problem that they'd have to overcome. The main problem was the family unit, how we destroy it. You had to destroy that because it gave you a strong culture. And when you had a common, a common system, a culture in a country, uh, you were pretty well invincible. You stand up together uh, when people try to change that culture. So you had to disrupt it and gradually alter a bit here and a bit there and cause divisiveness inside the culture and eventually eliminate the family unit. And, and the greatest technique that they used eventually was simply to create uh, a culture of mass promiscuity, where you'd have lots of partners, but you wouldn't bond with any of them. And any fallout from actually the sexual relations, any fallout could be treated, hopefully, they thought, like the, the sexually transmitted diseases by the medical system. And also they could simply abort uh, the children and then they also, so that to make you also um, accept the fact that life wasn't so precious after all. And once that happened, they could then turn to the elderly. Because the world, you see, for the globalists at the top, has to be run efficiently. And it's all cost. Everything's cost. And anything that cost, takes cost away from the massive profit. Because the world's a business. This, your nation is a business for those who own it. Uh, the globalists who own it all... Uh, want massive profit and when your time is over you're no longer productive they want you to just to die right away hopefully and they, in fact they wish they could just switch you off and you wouldn't collect a pension you just die and and then you're gone if you're paid insurance then you get cremated or buried or whatever and and that's it you've done your duty and you've been a good citizen so the, 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 the reality is once you start abortion, you, you cheapen life. And I think it was Julian Huxley, who was the brother of Aldous Huxley, who gave a speech at the UNESCO about that, that they'd have to knock humans off the pedestal as of, of a supreme being on the planet and bring them right down. And unfortunately, we've been brought down to what the Frankfurt School said, to the gutter, basically. And that's where they want us to be. Once you're that level, you don't really care. And you feel nothing for your fellow man. You know, I'm all right, Jack, so I don't care about you. Then anything can be done to people. And that's where, where they're taking it bit by bit. And this article falls right into this category. Abortion is opening the floodgate for euthanizing the mentally ill. Now, where have you heard that before? Though gone from the face of earth for some 51 years, the ghost of Margaret Sanger still haunts the vulnerable, young and old from the grave. While regarded as founder of the modern-day birth control movement, Sanger and Hillary Clinton remain the sacrosanct champions of baby parts for sale, merchants' planned parenthood. Clinton openly denies any rights for the unborn, the American electorate truly denies her the rights to the presidency, surely in the delivery of poetic justice 101. And 
a little bit from Margaret Sanger again, more children from the fit and less from the unfit. That is the chief aim of birth control. That's what Sanger believed. She was all for the top. Understand something, people. I hope you understand. Most folk never get it because they're early indoctrination through the school system where they're taught all this stuff. But true socialism is scientific dictatorship and management of the public. That's, that's what they really mean by that. It's completely atheistic, and therefore science takes the place of any deity or God, and the scientists uh, of all kinds manage the general population. That's what socialism really is all about. For those who don't quite get it, it's nothing to do with helping the working class. Read the, uh, all the, 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 the I've again, go into the archive session at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And I read from the books by H.G. Wells and others who founded the Fabian Society for World Socialist, uh, the, the socialist movement. And they're quite blatant about their goals, and, and it's never changed. So Margaret Sanger uh, was a, a fan of the Soviet system and the Nazi system. Uh, again, eugenics, you see. So more children from the fit, less from the unfit. That's the chief aim of birth control. She's actually called uh, the children of most people the unfit, because most of them in her category were unfit. Weeds, basically. They're weeds. And so she believed the handicapped and mentally ill and racial minorities. She says more children from, uh, from the fit and less from the unfit. And that's the chief aim of birth control. And that was from Birth Control Review, May 1919, page 12. And it says, reach out from a skeletal hand towards legalizing euthanasia for non-terminally ill psychiatric patients. It was only a matter of time before abortion on demand was going to find its way to the acceptance of euthanasia of society's next most vulnerable. Now, Canada has already passed euthanasia and so on, because it's cheaper than treating you. And that's the real reason for it behind it, too. Uh, if you're ill, just, just kill you off. And, and it's cheap, give them a pill or whatever, rather than give them treatment. Now, that, that's the real reason behind it. Of course it is. Not to help someone in incredible pain, all that, but no one need be in incredible pain with, with the various medications that are out there. If they just give it to you when you need it. But anyway, it says that the practice of snuffing the lives of physically healthy psychiatric patients got a green light from the Catholic community only makes it all the more outrageous. A religious order in the Catholic Church called the Brothers of Charity is responsible for a large proportion of beds for psychiatric patients in Belgium, about 5,000 of them. The international head of the order, Brother René Stockman, is a Belgian who has been one of the leading opponents of euthanasia in recent years. Uh, so he's nonetheless in a surprise move this week. The board controlling the institutions of their Brothers of Charity announced that from now on it will allow euthanasia to take place in their psychiatric hospitals. In a statement posted on the website, the Brothers of Charity explained the policy shift, saying, We take seriously unbearable and hopeless suffering and patients' requests for euthanasia. On the other hand, we do want to protect lives and ensure that euthanasia is performed only if there's no more possibility to provide a reasonable perspective to treat the patient. So you understand too, and I read the articles a few years back when they first introduced euthanasia in Holland, for instance, 
And sure enough, it soon <laughs> he soon got the horror stories coming out of Holland, where uh, the, the, the the little van that would visit people's homes were down for euthanasia, began to kill people off like a, like a nun <laughs> who certainly did not agree to be snuffed out, and they said it was a mistake. So th- that kind of thing happens, and and it's just tough tough luck, isn't it? That's what you get once you once you open Pandora's box to slaughter. And again, how can you possibly condemn what what the Nazis did hmm? for for racial hygiene and all the rest of it? And they had they they began to kill off those in the hospitals too, those who were uh, subnormal by par could be happy enough and, and maybe decent, pleasant enough, but kill them off. And here we are doing the same kind of things. And that's what that's what happens once you open. Pandora's box to, to slaughter, to really authorized slaughter. That's what it is, isn't it? Of course it is. Let, let's not get pretty words about things. Say things for what they are. And it says euthanasia for psychiatric patients had already happened dozens of times in Belgium, but from now on it will probably be easier for people suffering from schizophrenia, personality disorders, depression, autism, or loneliness to access it. In fact, it would be hard to find an institution in Belgium where euthanasia is not being offered as an option. The hype intrinsic in the words of the Brothers of Charity are completely at odds with their approval of odious actions. Uh, so, uh, there you go. I mean, uh, that's one of it there. And then you've got assisted suicide for the mentally ill. Canada weighs uh, what some European nations already allow. See, once you start it, they always immediately get into their papers in your countries because they always give it a, a trial balloon somewhere. And then, of course, they immediately copy it because that's the world agenda under the United Nations and all the rest of them too. Canadian legislators may soon pass a law extending the right to physician assistance in dying, also known as physician-assisted suicide. Or let's call it physician-assisted killing. <laughs> and it says here, to the mentally ill. The possible of such a move, which would bring Canada's policies somewhat into line with Dutch and Belgian policies, stems from a 2015 decision by the nation's highest court that mentally competent Canadian adults suffering intolerably and enduringly from a physical ailment have the right to a doctor's help in dying. Since that decision, Canadian lawmakers have been working to revise their statutes so they can conform to the High Court's ruling. Lawyers are, are awfully, awfully good at that, aren't they? They, don't, they make everything sound wonderful. Well, it's a law, we can kill you. And away they go with it. And in this article, he goes on to say, the debate gained attention because... No, they always use at least one or two examples. They should change it for everybody because of one or two examples. Always the same thing. Well, prominent blogger Adam Meyer Clayton, 27 years old, he suffered from severe mental illness and argued for including those like himself who tried numerous medications and treatments and therapies that did not relieve his torment in the classes of people covered by assisted suicide laws. Shanaz Gokul, head of Dying with Dignity Canada, Praised Meyer Clayton in a recent article in the Globe and Mail newspaper. And this, this Janaz Google is one of these advocates that's into all kinds of uh, advocation, advocating for how we should live or die <laughs> and various other things as well. 
And then you get this one here. Focus on life, not suicide, a Christian Medical and Dental Society warns. Deacon Larry Worthen, Executive Director of the Christian Medical and Dental Society of Canada, worries that the care and coordination service will be too focused on the assisted suicide option, which allows patients to self-refer for assisted suicide or allow their families and friends to refer if they can't find a doctor willing to refer for an assessment. So they're going to make killing folk easier uh, <laughs> because relatives want to. <laughs> That's going to open a whole another Pandora's box, isn't it? And so on. While the Ministry of Health is pouring energy and resources into ensuring everyone who wants a medically assisted death can be quickly assessed and matched with a willing doctor, patients who want to die in a hospice at home or in a palliative care or in a hospital may discover their preferred option either isn't available or only available through a waiting list, Worthen said. They will not be funding for alternative options for people who are in need so they can make a real choice between ending their lives prematurely and carrying on, said Worthen. The CMDS is suing the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario to overturn a college policy which would force objecting doctors to make an effective referral for medical assistance in dying. They may force the doctors to, to do it, just like they did with, the, with the referring patients for abortion. And where, how to do it and where to go. Uh, that, that's the same. Same technique. Same technique. You always get in a socialist society where the government is involved in, in whatever, incl- including uh, medical care and so on. You end up uh, having them boss of a bit around until the doctors themselves become like awfully high paid um, bureaucrats, really. And it becomes easy to... This is going to be the, the, the rigour, really, for most patients as they try to cut the cost of healthcare. And, and again, they'll, they'll even have... Uh, <laughs> I guarantee you, they'll, be, they'll always give you little plays, little depressing plays by your national TV, uh, government-run state system, and they'll put in little plays there about, oh, little George is getting awfully sick and... Should we just kill him or not? And the, the agony the parents, the relatives go through, etc. And as they get you all geared up, oh, do the right thing, George, and kill yourself. And, and this is going. To, this is how they've done it in other countries. They always do it through fiction, an awful lot of fiction, and get you, you ready to just accept this when it's your turn. Yeah, don't get treatment because even when treatment could be available, they don't want to spend it on you. They've got. I've done the articles before over the years, where your health system has you. Everyone's marked down according to a point system of uh, your worth in society. And when you go into hospital, you're immediately for, for a problem. You're immediately categorised in your category, and then they put you on pathways. Now you're onto the death pathway. So they're going to just withhold various treatments that you could get if they would just give it to you, and 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 have you die instead. It's cheaper that way. Everything comes down to cost. Even though you're paid God knows what in to, to, to the system your entire life long, they don't want to pay anything back to you. Yep, that's life or death, isn't it? So, the, so this one here is, goes on about what they're going to do and so on. And truly, believe you me, when you do accept, when you, when you accept and, and, and join what the elite have given you to join, which is, oh, let's be intelligent about this, you know, and, and pragmatic, well, they should just die off anyway. Well, when is your turn? I'll be your t- you, who's going to stand up for you? Hmm? Even if they could give you some treatment which would relieve your suffering and let you live, it'd be taken away. Because they want to bring down the population. Yep. 
And they are bringing it down <laughs> by different techniques and different means. Another one, too. The Ontario government announces $75 million in new funding for the end-of-life care. So Dying with Dignity Canada thinks the government of Ontario for, or thanks them for committing $75 million over three years in new funding to improve access to killing you, end-of-life care. Don't give you more money into helping you stay alive. No, let's do it this way. It's cheaper, isn't it? A news release Friday, the province said investment allowed for the creation of up to 20 new hospices and increased support for caregivers tending to Ontarians who wish to die at home. In total, the provincial government is set to devote $155 million over the next few years to hospice and palliative care programs. So Dying with Dignity Canada, the leading organization helping Canadians to avoid unwanted, unnecessary suffering at end of life, is applauding the province for its commitment to developing a comprehensive strategy for end-of-life care. <laughs> it's really something. But anyway, I've, I've no misconceptions about all this, what it's all about, because I've read too much about it from other countries over the years as we go down this big path here. And uh, they aren't going to give you the what was the Rockefeller treatment, for instance. Not for you. Nope, not for you. Here's, here's a little pill, and uh, be grateful. And it'll cost you about 25 cents, maybe. And uh, that saves a lot of money for, you know, for the important things that government wants to waste your money on. Another article, too. Ontario Budget 2017. The debt rises to $312 billion dollars as province balance, balances, they call it balancing the budget, meaning they've worked out how to pay off the instalment on the debt for this year. That's what that means whenever they say balanced budget. It doesn't mean paying off any debt, it means paying the instalment, because generally they can't meet the instalment. And it doesn't mean they've done it either. It just says that <laughs> the, 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 the latest budget they hope to pay off. It says the province's first balanced budget in a decade gets rid of a deficit that had at one point reached about $20 billion. And the government projecting uh, that balance would continue through 2020. It says the debt itself, however, is another matter. It's projected to be $312 billion this year, or roughly 22000 for every Ontarian. It's projected to grow to $336 billion in 2019 to 2020. The province's net debt has tripled since the provincial Liberals came to power, in the last budget presented by Ontario's Progressive Conservatives before the 2003 election, the debt was about $110 billion. There was, but the, the, the pretty well doubled it, at least or tripled it actually, since then with the Liberals. Because the Liberals have got all these great plans for us all. And then, with this article too. There's a way that a lot of these articles tie in with each other to show you where money does go to, and there's different reasons for even where it's going to as well. But France's Marine Le Pen blasts Quebec and Canadian politics. And from the Globe and Mail, it was 2016. It's quite interesting too. It says, Ms. Le Pen, the leader of France's right-wing anti-immigration national front. If you have a, want to believe in a nation, they always call you right-wing. Uh, you're right-wing. And uh, it begins day five of her Quebec tour Tuesdays is last year, having finally pierced Quebec's indifference to her visit, etc. They should do some swipes at values cherished by the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. 
The attack lines were clear and often repeated in a series of interviews from Radio Canada to private talk radio and even a couple of top 40 music stations. Globalization and immigration are driving down wages, creating a new type of slavery. Multiculturalism is slow death for the host culture. Diverse cities such as Toronto are doomed to crumble into ghettos, and French in Quebec is in decline. Welcoming a small stream of 25,000 Syrian refugees is folly that would inevitably lead to a flood. Now, that was, that was then, and, but you find out that what was the actual uh, number of refugees admitted to Canada in 2016? Well, they're now telling you that it's the highest since 1980. And the resettlement of 46,700 refugees in 2016 marks a tremendous achievement and a record for Canada since 1978 when the Immigration Act came into effect. And um, they're very delighted, etc., for resettlement, etc., etc., etc. But remember, so many of these folk come in and they need to be housed, paid, some kind of income to keep them afloat, etc., and so they can survive. And they may be even trained too, and so on. That's a lot of people in a country that literally <laughs> is a service economy now. And it's hardly even taking over. There's terribly bad news on the horizon to do with more bank closures coming up, etc. Right now, it's current stuff. And here's the, the Liberals spending more. And this is their policy, by the way. They've actually said that they, they borrow more and spend more as opposed to trying to cut back and save a little bit. So it's... And again, I'm sure this is all part of why they want you to start killing us off now, too. You're sick? Okay, why, here's a lot of pill for you. It's only 25 cents. Do the right thing. Go on, do the right thing. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And then another one is called Inside the 2017 Ontario Budget. And it gives you an, an idea of where some of the money is really going. Is quite quite something, again, uh, as, they, as they actually socialize more of the system and the medical system, this is what they want to do. Even with they've tripled the debt for Ontario alone, right? It says that they're going to give a full coverage of the cost of prescription medications for all individuals aged 24 years and under. And it's due to roll out January the 1st, 2018. The free pharmacare program is projected to cost $465 million per year. Well, you know, it'll be double or triple that, because they always do that when they project anything. But this is from a, a government in, in Ontario that's already tripled what they owe this massive debt. Since this figure was not found in the official budget document, it was uh, iterated to members of the press attending the 2017 Ontario budget media lockup. So, so there you go. Since the Ontario Liberal Party claims this program is for the first part of its kind in Canada, and it will ensure that young adults have access to universal drug coverage and parents never have to choose between paying for their children's prescription drugs and providing other essentials. And then they go post-secondary education and jobs growth. Well, it's always the same old stuff. Retrain them for things where there's no work for them to go to, into once they train them. But here's one here too. Housing and basic income. This is a trial balloon. And also it's, it's a test for the, the rest of the world. Because I mentioned it last, last week, in fact. They're going to start just paying folk to stay at home in a post-industrial society. 
where basically everything that's made will be done by robots in the, in the factories. And, and again, until they start bringing down the population fast, 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 they want you to stay at home, basically, and just play yourself until you die. And maybe they'll give you a pill when you get depressed. This is job insecurity in the form of non-standard employment and part-time work has led the Ontario government to implement measures intended to stabilise incomes. In the budget, the Liberals detailed their plans for a basic income pilot, which was first announced in 2016. Basic income will become available for voluntary participants in Hamilton, the city of Hamilton, in Thunder Bay and Lindsay. This is the test bed for it. People earning below a specified amount per year will receive payments from the government for basic needs such as housing and food, says the budget. The document does not detail what specific or specified amounts will be required to receive basic income. This measure has garnered international attention as governments around the world watch for its success. Why would it be successful if we're all paying for it? It's going to add more and more money to the debt until we all collapse. The province is also looking to expand rent control to all private rental units and will be introducing legislation in the form of Rental Fairness Act, etc., etc. Then it shows you other things where the money is going to go. You know, some of the big so-called philanthropists, you know, these special folks apparently that should run our lives because they keep interfering with the... With the governments, who are only too happy to take advice from these philanthropists and the big foundations. But they've already said that they want a big chunk of the population to be on permanent unemployment, basically, benefits with this wage. So this is what they're really testing out here as, as part of that. And then we go on to <laughs> this one here. And it's to do with the impact of the Iran nuclear agreement. It's quite kind of comical in a way. Uh, from the CFR, they tell you some things about about the comprehensive plan of action, etc., and how how it works with Iran and what Iran's basically complied with everything that's been demanded of them regarding the nuclear system that they're they've been working on. But that that really isn't I can make any difference anyway because <laughs> there's there's other countries that want rid of them, and so on. Then another one here says Trump must learn the art of the Iran deal here. It's got some articles about that there. And then I've got a few articles from Activist Post. Boris Johnson says it would be hard to say no to war in Syria if the U.S. asks them to. This is for Britain. And then we have this one here. New developments suggest potential false flag coming in Syria. And they talk about how they work the false flags and who the, the white helmets actually are. And they are part of a very well-organized system of propaganda, as you, as you will find. And then this one says, Photos from Syria show white helmets and Nusra-Al-Qaeda are the same organization. But it's a propaganda arm. And it's well run, too. We know that the organizations involved in it, too. And um, then we have Mattis in talks to keep several thousand U.S. troops in Iraq after ISIS. How? I mean, I guess this is all borrowed money, too, that the U.S. has to, to pay for all these wars and all the rest of it, too. And then you have McMaster plan to extend the Afghanistan long war. It says it's bound to fail. And then you have... The foreign sector is, is leading Britain down a very dangerous path. And 
<laughs> of course, the, the gossip stuff. The bribe cases, as Jared uh, Kushner uh, and his partner and, and potential conflicts of interest, etc. And then another one, too. Donald Trump's son-in-law and advisor, Jared Kushner, failed to disclose millions in loans from Wall Street and who they all are, who the different ones are. George Soros is one of his partners, Peter Thiel, and Goldman Sachs. And that uh, Kushner also owes a billion dollars in loans, etc. But why let that stop you, eh? And it goes on and on and on. <laughs> but again, you know, those who, those who work for the real globalists are above them. And there are folk, I mean, that's who presidents and prime ministers and, and these kind of people are. They have, there's a globalist above them. There's even higher masters. But at this level, up to that level, you're allowed to, to help you uh, fulfill the, your bank accounts to overflowing. And that's actually accepted by the globalists. Why not? Since the globalists work in multi-trillions and not even in billions for themselves. So there's, there's good rewards in politics for those who, who will do what they're told at the, and help to con the public. That's how it really works, isn't it? And I hate to say it, that's, that's the time gone in already. This vanished. And as I say, they're building up this massive storm for this Sunday, so we'll see what happens. And no doubt in the papers afterwards, they'll be saying, see, see, it's you, too many of you breathing carbon dioxide out this causing all this. And meanwhile, this, this spray in the skies like you wouldn't believe to make it all happen. We'll truly live in a, a kind of perverted Disneyland, don't we? Really do. From myself, Alan Watt, from Ontario, Canada, and it's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. 